I thought I was going to do a podcast on Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies or and or cryptocurrencies and um, it ended up being more on blockchain technology because the people that I met were really focused on building something with this really incredible technology. Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interview Shannon Grinnell. She's the host of Speaking of Crypto, a crypto podcast. In this episode, we talk blockchain, her background, how she got into crypto, and her early days in much music, where and what and how the crypto scene is going. We've interviewed a lot of the same people on our two shows, and actually, I'm going to be on her show as well. So if you want to learn more about Shannon, check out this episode. If you want to learn more about me, check out the episode she's going to air on her podcast, Speaking of Crypto. This is an amazing episode, so please stay tuned. Greetings, Hacker. Ever wonder how to submit stories to Hacker Noon or check the status of your submissions? Well, wonder no more. Go to contribute.hackernoon.com. Whether you're a new writer, longtime contributor, or looking for the right place to spotlight your brand, get started with contribute.hackernoon.com. With your help, we are building Hacker Noon 2.0 to be the best place for tech professionals to publish, and it starts with a new submission flow. Head over to contribute.hackernoon.com today to claim your spot. You are Hacker Noon. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Shannon. Hey, Shannon, tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Yeah. Um, so my name is Shannon Grinnell, and I have the Speaking of Crypto podcast, which I have been doing for not quite a year. I started last May, um, and I'm talking to experts who really want, I'm looking for people who are inspiring, um, someone who can share how they've grown and we go into life lessons, um, but really I think the podcast is for anybody with a growth mindset. Um, just anyone who wants to grow and learn. And ultimately, my goal is to help empower people um, to look at this new internet that we're going through and see how they can make money online. Uh, there's so many ways that we can make money online now, doing things that we do for free. Um, things that we do for free now will soon be able to be paid for, right? So mm -hmm. writing a blog post um, through Steemit and Minds and Everpedia, you can get paid for that kind of thing. Um, there's things like posting on Twitter. Soon there'll be that tip-in feature. Um, so getting tipped for just posting on Twitter is something that's new and cool and different because of blockchain technology and this new internet. Um, listening to podcasts. So you can listen to Speaking of Crypto or you can listen to the Hacker Noon podcast and get paid for it if you sign up with PodCoin. Um, you can deposit crypto and you can earn interest on your crypto and you can even exercise and earn crypto. So um, I think that's one of the things that I really want to get into soon. But um, for now, it's been really great to have awesome conversations. And Trent, I know you have some amazing conversations as well. So um, you, you know probably what I'm talking about. Well, you're the, you're the, well, actually, I think you're the second guest that I've had that actually also runs a podcast. So, um, you know, it's always interesting to talk to another podcast host. Uh, but what's really interesting about you is you and I have literally interviewed some of the same people. Um, <laughs> So Great. like I was going through your interview roster and it was just like, oh, okay, I've interviewed that person, that person, that person. I've seen that person speak in an event. Um, so it was, it was kind of some nice validation to see that, okay, they're, you know, cause we're, we're almost a little bit like beat reporters back in the day. Like this is <laughs> yeah. kind of our beat and, 
you know, we both kind of have our finger on the same pulse. So it was like, okay, uh, you know, even though I just recently found out about your show, it was just like, all right, we're interviewing the same people. We're having similar conversations with these same types of guests. And it's yeah, like, we're on the right track. Yeah, this is, we're, we're both documenting kind of what's happening right now. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. My husband and I were watching this documentary on um, Rolling Stone magazine and they were talking about this counterculture movement in this rock and roll you know time of the 60s and whatever mm -hmm. and how cool it was that someone decided to document what was going on during that time and it feels a little bit like what's going on in crypto right now it's still early days and so isn't it cool to kind of be around this insane vibe and just get to see what's going on and you're right like document it yeah. And I mean, it's, I don't know, it's so crazy to even think of like where, even when I started doing this back in January of last year versus where it is today. Um, and just seeing the evolution of like what's happening in the blockchain space, what's happening in crypto. I mean, ICOs aren't even a thing anymore. Right. Um, yeah. It's amazing. That was everything last year. Yeah. I and mean, we've completely shifted to like, oh, okay, like, you know, stable coins and, you know, STOs <laughs> and like a completely regulated market and it kind of self-regulated. It wasn't even like, it wasn't like there was a ban hammer from the government or something. It was like, you have right. to do it this way. It was just like, okay, everyone kind of just paused and went, let's do this as, you know, officially and correctly as possible. Um, yeah, I think the markets really helped determine that. So being in a bear market, and there's a lot of companies that had so much money that they could do anything they wanted, really. Um, but in a, the bear market, when that currency changes, then all of a sudden, I think people have to be bootstrap a little bit more, and yep. just be a little bit more frugal and just concerned about what they're, where they're spending their money. So I think that had a lot to do with it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I've seen the same trend. Uh, and it's, it's both good and bad because I mean, I, I've known people that, you know, there were layoffs towards the end of last year at some of these crypto companies. Yeah. Big layoffs. Yeah. I mean, there were, you know, some people lost their jobs, so it was serious. Um, but at the same time, you know, now people are focusing more on product. Uh, they're building, you know, actual products. They're able to demo them now. Um, it's not that kind of hype and FOMO that we were seeing last year. Um, now we're starting to see it shift into more of that kind of traditional startup space. Yeah, it's an exciting time because there's a lot of building going on. Um, so people who can kind of see past this bear market into what could be um, are the ones who are really going to make things happen in the future. So I think that's exciting. Um, I'm finding I'm really drawn to people who seem to be passionate and also driven um, to do something really different. Um, so I think that's what draws me to the space um, and also the tech side of it. Um, so when I was a kid, I was, um, a gifted math kid. <laughs> so I actually won this citywide math award, um, just as a little kid, this is like sixth grade. And I was in these enriched courses. I had special opportunities cause I was in these, um, this sort of gifted level. And, um, and then my dad had a project in San Francisco actually. Um, so he was an architect and, um, his firm was doing a whole city block in San Francisco. So I don't know if you know Yerba Buena Gardens, um, but they were working on that. And so our whole family moved down to San Francisco. 
we ended up living in a tiny little town called Ross in Marin County. Um, and we moved there because my dad was so concerned that we maybe wouldn't have the education we would if up in Canada. We were talking earlier and, you know, teachers are paid a lot more money um, up here than they are down there. A 10-year teacher can make $100,000 a year. Um, so it's, it's generally um, kind of looked at a little bit differently. But we ended up, at, you know, in this wealthy little town where the school was phenomenal. In fact, I learned more there than I did probably through my next five, four or five years in high school. Um, and it was just really, um, it, I guess it really advanced. So in terms of like English courses, uh, the English class that we were doing, we were studying Greek and Latin roots and math, we were doing factorial and just high level concepts. Um, so I think from that really strong academic background, I was really interested in math. And I came back to Toronto. We were only there for a year and went to a school, just a regular public school, actually a really good school in, in Toronto, but it wasn't at the same level. Mm. And I asked one of my teachers, why are we still learning this? And he basically told me that we teach to the lowest common denominator. And that's when I started tuning out. So during my high school, I mean, during my high school years, I just, I wasn't challenged the way I had been. And so I you know, would talk to my friend who was on the ski team with me. And we just, you know, I just wasn't interested in math anymore. It took me a long time to actually have some math course that was as advanced as it was when I was younger. And so I would say what happened during my teen years is I became kind of rebellious. Well, probably more, I should say, like I was just checked out, basically, just not interested in school didn't really respect my teachers because I feel like I wasn't really learning so much. And my parents asked me if I wanted to go to private school. And I said, no, I don't want to leave my friends. Yeah. So I have these two sides of me where I started out as this like nerdy math kid. And then I also have this really rebellious side of me where I completely checked out of school and all I cared about was music. And what I found when I got into crypto was there are those kinds of people all over the place. In fact, they're the norm, the nerdy math kids or the rebellious types. And, you know, there's this mishmash of those two kinds of people. And so there was something about, you know, just feeling like I'd come home, like I found my people mm -hmm. um, when I came into the crypto space. It just sort of made sense to me. And you're, so just for some context, you're talking to someone born in San Francisco who grew up in Marin County. No. Uh, well, I went to school. I know you're in um, San Fran. I didn't know about Marin. Yeah. I, I went to school in Tiburon. I lived in Corte Madera and bounced around Sausalito and Mill Valley a little bit as a kid, uh, mostly Corte Madera and Tiburon. But uh, so yeah, I had the That's same amazing. experience where I got a really good education between, I'd say like probably third through eighth grade was like really solid in Marin. Right. I got to high school and I had actually relocated down to Southern California. Uh, I mean, it, I was learning stuff in high school that I had learned in fourth grade. Um, so it was like, people don't, I think most people wouldn't believe that that could be the case, but, um, I had exactly the same experience. I yeah. really didn't learn anything new until I got to 12th grade. And my teachers in Marin, like, they challenged the hell out of me. Yeah, um, same. They were, they were brutal. Now that I think about it in retrospect, compared to teachers who couldn't do that or didn't do that, that I had later in life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they were, you know, they, you know, it's like, you didn't cross your T correctly. It was like, 
it was that kind of stuff. Like, or you didn't carry that variable and you didn't show your work as like, but then by the time I got to high school, it was like, all right, the answer is this, whatever. Um, you know? Yeah. Um, and you were telling me about teachers in San Francisco and how yeah. they're having a really hard time finding people in San Francisco, teachers. Yeah, it's hard to find teachers now in the Bay Area because the cost of living is so insane that they can't find teachers who can actually afford to live here because they don't pay them a reasonable rate. So you were telling me that teachers in Canada actually get paid reasonably. It's, it's a living wage, um, possibly even a, a, you know, a slightly higher than a living wage. Um, whereas in the United States, oof, unless you're teaching college, and even then most college professors can't even work full time, they're mostly kept part time. Um, it's, a, it's not a profitable profession. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of sad. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, I don't know where you see education going, but I think it's going to change drastically. Um, I know you had someone on your podcast who um, was talking about a whole new school system wow. where they don't actually pay for, this is college level, but they don't actually pay for school until they get a job. Um, which I think is brilliant because what I found, so <laughs> um, I've gone through this whole, you know, when I was a kid, but I didn't go through this other um, part of my career where I ended up teaching. Um, but I did become a teacher. And um, what I found was the thing that was really, really, really difficult. And I'll say teaching is probably the hardest thing on the planet to do. Um, and I respect teachers because they're incredible humans. I'll say most of them are unbelievable. Um, but I found it's really, it's not easy to motivate teenagers, <laughs> <laughs> especially when you say you need to learn this math that you may never learn, never use again in your entire life. Yeah. So how do you, you know, how do you get through to kids and being a sort of rebellious teenager who was on the other side of those teachers, um, you know, I wasn't interested in learning a lot of concepts that I didn't see any use for. Like history, I thought was, why are we, why on earth are we learning this? Um, so I find, you know, just how do you, you know, how do you motivate kids uh, and I think that's true nowadays that it's, we're really trying to figure out how do we motivate our kids, whether it's in school or, you know, what are they motivated by? And we were talking earlier about kids are motivated by things that excite them, things that they're interested in. And what they tend to be interested in is technology, is what's online, what's on video. Um, and so I think education needs to move to more to, towards what are motivating kids in the first place. And crypto is a potential vehicle for being able to do that because now you can pay people for and, and, in, and build incentives into the systems and the structures of how you get stuff done. And they're actually getting that reward. Um, you know, I saw one of my good friends tweeting about his daughter. Uh, you know, they actually, his like daughter's soccer team won their entire contest. They went like completely undefeated. And, you know, the little, his daughter told him like, hey, it was so nice to get a trophy that I actually deserved to win because I was mm -hmm. actually the best. Because unfortunately, mm -hmm. we've got this society where like now we give people participation trophies and, you know, now everyone gets a trophy. No one feels left out, but it almost is meaningless at that point because you're getting rewarded from just trying, not even for accomplishing what you were supposed to do. Yeah, I think Chris Rock has some skit where he talks about kids getting a gold medal for getting out of bed in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of come down to that. And that's, that's not conducive for learning. I, I mean, what I've learned as 
a high school dropout who then went to college early and then dropped out of college. Like, you know, it's, it's about failing. It's about messing up. Mm. It's about screwing up. Uh, that's where I've learned the most valuable lessons is either failing myself or watching other people fail. Uh, and I mm. think the system that we have today has completely forgotten that. In fact, it tries so hard to prevent people from failing that they can't actually learn anything because failure is probably one of the greatest teachers we have. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have the same system, but nowadays kids can't fail. I think they do say um, in the States they were calling it social promotion, um, but essentially that you can't fail a grade because they want you to stay with your friends or with your cohort. Is that the same in the U.S., do you know? I do not know. I've heard some similar stuff. Mm -hmm. um, when I was, by the time I got to high school, I had checked out too. So yeah, uh, and I do not currently have kids. So I don't yeah, know so, what they're doing, but I've heard some horror stories from <laughs> some of my yeah. friends who have kids. But I'm with you about the, you know, not failing. And I remember at teacher's college, I had learned something um, along the, their rationale for why you would not want kids to fail. And what happens is that sometimes when kids fail, they think of themselves as a failure. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we need to teach kids to not think the, of themselves that way just because they failed and to see it as the learning opportunity that you were talking about. It's having um, a growth mindset is what they call it. Is yeah, absolutely. And most people who have succeeded have failed at things like you're saying, and it was how they figured out how to get past that failure that made them successful. Because mm -hmm. we all come across obstacles. I mean, it can't be avoided. So, Well, and I, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit yeah. here. You did, after you were a teacher, you also, you've worked for a number of major media companies and including much music. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the shift uh, that kind of happened to get you into TV and production and now podcasting? Yeah. So I started out in music. Um, again, I was checked out at high school. So all I thought about was music and I started writing music. Um, and I just, it was like, you know, just felt really comfortable, just felt, you know, like, I was connecting with something inside of me. Um, and so writing music became really important. And then I went to college for music. I was a vocalist, um, except I'm good in a choir and that's about it. <laughs> I don't have one of those American Idol voices. So I realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to be a, a singer, but that I wanted to focus more on writing. And um, after my second year at college, I actually got a job working for two different recording studios. And I was working for one that did the sound and the music for films and one that did just some cool like local bands. So there was a band called The Look People. And one of the guys from there is now part of the Bare Naked Ladies, which is a pretty big band in Canada. Um, and um, so, yeah, I worked for a couple of recording studios. And then, um, crazy long story, I kind of went back to high school and then I went to film school. But my, my focus was really sort of music, film. And then when I graduated from film school, I had a film that um, I ended up, it wasn't at the Cannes Film Festival, but I got to go to the Cannes Film Festival. Um, so that was a really, really cool experience. Um, it did win um, a European award and it went on national national television as well. And I just got into um, working on documentaries and things like that. 
Uh, so I was really a part of sort of film, independent films, um, as a, either a camera assistant or in the producing realm. And um, I thought, you know, I was really torn. Again, I think this nerdy kid versus this like rebellious music kid was always kind of, I was fighting myself. So I decided to go back to school and I was doing a master's program. Um, in film and I had a couple scholarships to go there and it just wasn't what I expected um, So I opened this book called um, the artist's way. It's by Julia Cameron and It talks about how everybody's creative, which I 100% believe and it asks you to do these morning pages and it's kind of like journal writing But it's stream of consciousness and I used to write a journal as a kid and I started when I was like 16 and I'd write things like Oh, I'm going to save the world and, you know, just all this stuff that I thought was so profound. And years later, I read back and I thought, oh, you know, the little ego on this kid, <laughs> just thinking that everything I was writing was brilliant and profound. And it was like the first time somebody had come up with something so, you know, smart. <laughs> so, um, but journal writing is a funny thing, right? Because we think that someday someone might read this and it's going to be important. <laughs> but stream of consciousness writing is different. It's just writing, writing, writing with the idea that you're never going to let anybody see it. And in fact, she recommends like burning it, shredding it, tearing it up, doing whatever you can to make sure nobody reads it so that you really connect with what's deep and personal. And so I did that. And I don't remember if it was the first day or the first week, but I wrote, 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 wrote. And by the end, I wrote, I need to go to California or I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. And it was a really deep thing that I felt was like inside me that was kind of locked in there until I did this process. Um, so I was in the middle of this program at school and I left um, and I picked up and I moved to California and I moved to Southern California. I had been there when I was 18 because my uncle invited us to go down there. And when I got off the plane, I felt like I'd come home. It just felt home to me, I think, because I had lived in California when I was a kid in seventh grade. And so I moved to California and I really did, I do think that I would have regretted it had I not gone when I did go. So I went down there for a couple of years and I worked in, I actually thought I was going to go and become a screenwriter and work like as a waitress, which <laughs> I got a job as almost like a candy striper waitress with one of those, you know, little <laughs> candy striper type uniforms at Ruby. Like, oh, you're an actress or a screenwriter? What restaurant? Oh uh, yeah, I was at Ruby's <laughs> Diner in Redondo Beach and I loved it. I'm like, I'm living the life. I'm in like America and I'm going to find out what America's all about. Um, and I thought I was just going to write and write and write, but there was this job that came up in Hermosa Beach and I was living in Manhattan Beach. So it's all this beach cities area. And it was for sort of producer, editor, on camera, you needed to do everything. And um, so I fell into TV there and loved it. You know, I was reporting basically on things like beach volleyball, which I was playing and, um, you know, X Games events were happening there. And it was just a really cool time of my life when I was living down there and working in TV. Um, so <laughs> it's a really long story to get to when I came back to Toronto, um, I had, uh, some time where I was working as a personal trainer cause I was also really into health and fitness and, um, and then did some more, you know, TV work as well. And really it was, um, just 
in my personal life, I had a very difficult, um, trying time of my life where I had a bad marriage and an even more brutal divorce. Um, and with two kids and being a single parent, I really wasn't sure where I was going to go and what I was going to do. Um, and my job at, in TV seemed to be just, I, it seemed like TV was going downhill, like there wasn't much opportunity in TV anymore. And as the responsible parent, and I guess I went back to that, you know, nerdy math kid and thought, well, well what am I going to do to be, you know, responsible and take care of my kids? And I got into teaching. A friend of mine left much music to go into teaching. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, a secure job. It's safe. I think it would be the responsible thing to do. And so um, the, the same year that I left Much Music, I uh, w moved two hours up north. In fact, I was a commuting for a while for about six weeks. And I took just a summer course basically to learn how to teach. It was like a crash, crash course that they let people teach who'd had a background doing something else, like some kind of career. And then I moved up north to, um, to go teach. And it was probably the craziest two years of my life. Um, just the most challenging, I would say, because I was up there on my own with my two little boys. They were just little at the time. Um, and just trying to figure out what a new career looked like. Um, so I should probably close this out by getting to how I started the podcast. <laughs> but um, I'll say when I came back to Toronto, I was, because I had had that really difficult time, I started listening to podcasts. I had this crazy commute. I had a teaching job in Toronto, but I had to commute 50 kilometers each way. So 100 kilometers a day, which was, it just took a long time. Mm -hmm. So I started listening to podcasts and I got really, really inspired. And I think the things that inspired me were really working on myself and digging in again to what's really important to me and who I am and where I'm going. Um, Rich World Podcast really deeply connected with. Um, and uh, so I became vegan. I ended up running a marathon and I started meditating. And really those things changed my life for the better. So podcasting really changed my life. And um, so what I'll say is uh, one of the podcasts I listened to, James Altucher, um, had Naval Ravikant on his podcast. And he was the first one who I really heard talking about Bitcoin. Uh, do you know Naval? Do you, you know a little about him? Not really. No. Yeah. Um, and he's he's just very grounded and rational, but um, inspirational as well. So it was an incredible conversation. And so that's really what inspired me to go look into Bitcoin. And I probably would got have gotten into it sooner if I didn't have sort of a lot of personal crazy things going on in my life. So I'm really, you know, thankful that I did get to hear, you know, this amazing podcast, get inspired, buy my first Bitcoin. And from there, um, it just, I kind of put two and two together. It just seemed natural to, if I wanted to explore uh, Bitcoin and blockchain technology more, what better way to do it than to interview people who are doing amazing things in the space. So I guess that's my really long-winded story to say. Uh, that's how, that's how I, I got into it, I guess. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's definitely interesting to hear all the different avenues that you've came, come through, especially, you know, going from, you know, 
the going through the education system, getting into production and video production and working at much music, becoming a teacher. And then because you became a teacher, you ended up getting into crypto because you were listening to podcasts. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, funny. Uh, that's an interesting path to get there. So, um, yeah. And I mean, it, like I said, we've, we've been interviewing the same people. We've been talking, we've been covering the same beat around a similar time period. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very fascinating to kind of hear your story on how you got there. Um, yeah. and, you know, I, there's a lot of parallels to my own. Uh, yeah. I'm I, looking forward to interviewing you soon as yeah, well. Yeah. I'm going to be on your show <laughs> next. So yeah, that's great. We're, uh, We'll, uh, we'll get into my story then, but uh, for now, I'd like to kind of continue to stay focused on you. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just fascinating, like I said, because, uh, I mean, we, we even lived in the same areas, because uh, I, too, also went to Southern California, like, lived in Manhattan Beach area for a little while myself, um, when I was working for a, uh, a live video startup, so this was, like, in 2007-ish. Um, but, uh, yeah, very, very similar past following yeah. this technology and where it's going. So like, given the fact that we've interviewed, you, you and I have both interviewed like dozens of people over the last year, what are some of the trends and what are some of the things that you're noticing? Like, how is the blockchain crypto space evolving and what are you learning from all of this? Yeah, I think um, number one, I would say mass adoption is still not happening. Um, And I think Bitcoin has a marketing problem. (laughs) So the way I look at it is that you can't explain what Bitcoin is in two sentences. And if you're going to pitch a film in Hollywood, you need to have a two sentence pitch. Um, And that's how a lot of things get sold. And it's how we're used to explaining things to each other. So for a short period of time, Bitcoin had a two-sentence pitch, and it was something like, well, Bitcoin is digital money or digital currency, and it went from $0 to $4,000 in something like eight years, and oh, last month it went up another $1,000, and this month it's gone up $2,000. You know, at the end of 2017, all of a sudden, people got into Bitcoin, and it was because people could explain at least that part of Bitcoin in a couple of sentences. So I'd say um, what's difficult is people don't understand, the general public doesn't understand what Bitcoin is. Um, and, and aside from digital cash, it doesn't understand you know, the technology behind it. So I think that's number one, um, that everybody is sort of coming at that challenge from different places. Um, I think the other piece is I thought I was going to do a podcast on Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies or and or cryptocurrencies and um, it ended up being more on blockchain technology because Mm -hmm. the people that I met were really focused on building something with this really incredible technology. Um, So I think some of the cool conversations that I've had um, have to do with, you know, how are they helping to democratize opportunity because of this inherent um, open source technology that really helps bring more people into it rather than um, have just the few who are benefiting from, you know, some financial gain. Um, So it's hard to, you know, say what the commonality is among all these different people, but I'd say those are a couple of similar ones. Do you have any favorite guests? Do you pick favorites? It's <laughs> like your pick, kids where like, you're not allowed to pick favorites. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really, I I tend to think that my most recent podcast is 
my favorite. Um, so I just interviewed Sandra Rose. So I'm a huge fan of her. She's the CEO at the Global Blockchain Business Council. Um, and so I think the other reason why I'm a big fan of hers is because I feel um, like I, I, if I could do what she's doing, I would, you know, follow her around and I would do what she's doing. <laughs> um, what I think is really amazing is she's connecting people. Um, I mean, she's connecting people across the globe who are in blockchain. So I think that's incredibly admirable. And another thing that she's doing is she's working with, um, it's called UN Corp. And what they're doing is they're helping farmers in rural countries. Um, right now, I think they're doing something in Kenya and Uganda. Um, but basically, they're trying to go to these um, co-ops for farmers and they're putting all of their assets on a blockchain and it sounds really simple from our perspective but really what it's doing is allowing them to have assets that are registered so that they can benefit by getting some kind of financial services whether it's a loan or you know just anything from the bank or even just having that ownership so that they can pass it down or pass it to someone else sell it to someone else um, so I think that's really admirable Awesome. But yeah, there's incredible guests and, you know, I've, I've talked to a bunch that I think are amazing. Alex Mashinsky is pretty cool too. And we had an awesome conversation. I, the, one of the things that I love that they're doing about Celsius is that you can deposit crypto and earn interest on it. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of just holding it and not benefiting at all, unless the market goes up, why not get interest on it while you're holding it? Yeah, I, I interviewed him for my last podcast before I joined Hacker Noon, uh, and that was he was also one of my standouts. Uh, he's he's just very on the nose about like his opinions and how he states things. He just he he cuts out all the bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's he's amazing. Like, yeah. Yep, the banks are corrupt. Like, you know, <laughs> what we're do instead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He really sees big picture. I mean, he's yeah. a technology guy, but he also sees big picture as well. So he can come at it from almost from a writer standpoint and kind of give you the whole background and then come down into specifics. So I feel like he's, he's been very successful in his previous uh, projects as well. So yeah, he's so much to learn from that experience. Um, so he's not speaking from, you know, this is what I hope we can do. It's yeah. I've done this before. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's important because we want to learn from people who have succeeded and, you know, he definitely has. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. So I've got to ask, what is some time in your life that you've had to hack something? Yeah. Um, I will say I've had to hack teaching. <laughs> teaching teenagers um, had to be hacked because I had no idea what I was doing. So having been in film and television for my career and then taking this time to go into teaching, um, I didn't have full teacher's college. So I had essentially, a, I think it was six weeks at school, at teacher's college in order to learn how to teach. And it just wasn't enough time. So a couple of months into my teaching. I mean, I used to tell my students that I was pretending to teach <laughs> because I felt like I felt like I was acting for a while. Um, but, and I think because what I come at, came at it from a producer standpoint, and I've been used to telling, you know, production assistants to do certain things. And I just expected that they would do it. And usually they were, you know, keen and excited because they were getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> Teenagers aren't so excited to do what you tell them to do. 
Um, so you have to come at it from their standpoint and figure out what is it that they really want? What are they getting out of it? Mm -hmm. So what it helped me do was, and thank goodness I was in a really cool course where I was teaching communications technology, which is film and video production and graphic design. So I just tried to come up with really cool projects that would help teach them things um, that they were interested in teaching. So um, yeah, I guess that was what I hacked. Awesome. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, no, I think that's it. I think we, I think we did pretty well. Yeah, we covered quite Appreciate a bit of ground. I mean, it's, you know, this whole crypto scene, it's, it's fascinating. Um, cause I've been watching the tech industry since I was a kid and, you know, you see these kind of patterns of emerging technologies and, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I kind of look at it as like waves you know, and you never know how big the wave's going to get. You never know yeah. when they hit the shore. You know, is it going to stay out there and kind of build up for a while? Or is it going to just kind of rush to the shore and crash? You never really know. Um, mm. But it's been really fascinating to watch this one. Because um, it's, I, I still don't know what it's going to do. Um, yeah. Time it, will tell. Yeah. Because as you said, we, we don't have mass adoption yet. Um, at the same time, I'm looking at like, you know, platforms like Steemit. I'm looking at platforms like Minds. Uh, I'm looking at what is potentially the next generation of social networking. And I see huge potential because I see so many problems with the current generation. And mm. I don't know, uh, <laughs> you know, is well, are these sites going to fail? Are they going to succeed? Are they going to get acquired by Facebook and Twitter and, you know, get baked in? We'll see what happens. Yeah, I we'll see. But it is exciting, and I think it's awesome that they're going for it. That's for sure. Yep. And so where can people check out your show and, you know, follow you and what you're covering here in the crypto space? Yeah, so the website speakingcrypto.com, and it's also on iTunes and Google Play and Google Podcasts and all over the place. So, yeah, please check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Trent. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.